All right. Well, if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and turn in it to the book of Luke. We're at the very end of that book. It's the fourth or third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, one of those gospels. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, the text will be in your order of worship. It'll also be behind me, but as I always like to say, it's really good to have it in front of you so that you know that I'm not making this stuff up. Um, Last week, we began a series, uh, uh, hopefully you were here for that, if not, Sorry, we didn't, uh, we didn't get that. We've had some technical difficulties over the last few weeks, and, and so that one didn't get recorded for us, but that's all right. Uh, but what we're, what we're doing in the next few weeks is we're, doing, uh, we're walking through a bunch of honest objections to the Christian faith, calling it reconsider. And we're doing that because uh, whether or not we want to say it out loud, many of us have these doubts, even if you've even if you are a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time, sometimes you, you don't know what to do with some of these questions. And, and sometimes you do, but, uh, but for others of us who are, you know, whether we're new to church or new to um, a church that is actually like believing what, what they're talking about, um, yeah, we, just, we have questions. And you remember last week, one of the things that we talked about is there's a growing number in our population who are leaving Christianity behind, but in fact that many are leaving for reasons that are actually based on a version of Christianity that's not Christianity. And last week we looked at the idea of, of, of God, like the, the question of um, who is God, what is, what is God in some sense, and we talked about the fact that, that most of the time the objections that we have about God and God's existence have to do with a God that isn't the God of the Bible. It's a God that we've been taught, maybe a God that we've just believed, but not the God that um, is actually taught to us in the scriptures. This week, we look at uh, another central concept in Christianity, in the church, in the Christian faith, and that's this thing we call the Bible. So if you have your place in Luke 24, our, our habit here is to stand in honor of God's word. I'll be reading verses 13 to 27. Stand please, if you can. This is God's word to us. That very day, two of them, that's disciples of Jesus, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them said, or one of them named... Clopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man of, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. And moreover, some, of, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman said, but, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is God's word given so that you and I would flourish. 
you pray with me? Lord, this morning we need eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe that very thing, that you have given your word so that we might flourish. Because there's many things in it that are disturbing to us, whether we've walked with Jesus for a long time or our first hearing about him. There are things... Uh, there, there are things that our friends and our neighbors know about this, this book that disturb them. And, and sometimes we wonder, maybe they're right. So we, we need you. We need you this morning to come and to open our hearts. Holy Spirit, without you, we're lost. And so we ask that you would do this and you would do it for your glory's sake and let Jesus be the hero that we all desire this morning to us. Let everything else fall away. We ask it in his name. Amen. Have a seat. The Bible is a very strange book. And, and I think we, can, we should be able to admit that without being defensive. There's, there's really no sense in denying it and simply claiming that it's the word of God doesn't really help. It's weird. If you don't think it's strange, simply read it to a child and wait for the questions to come. And you'll realize like, oh, I've just become anesthetized to this whole thing. See, many people who have walked away from Christianity, and maybe that's you this morning, or maybe you're thinking about it, but many people who have walked away from Christianity have become those that say they have no religious uh, affiliation, um, do so because of something they have either read or heard about in the Bible. And some of the problem is that, especially if you were raised in the church, I wasn't, but, but if you were, you, I, I bet you feel this pressure. The pressure is that you think you're supposed to really understand it. Like that, that if someone comes and says, well, I have these problems, you're supposed to go, oh, problems? Oh, there's no problems. I get the whole thing. I get it. No problem, no problem whatsoever. You may not have actually read it, but you feel the pressure, like I'm supposed to get all of this. So what happens when you don't get it? What happens when it doesn't make sense? What happens when you read a blog or you go, maybe you're a college student, you, you go to a college Bible class or, um, or you're about to be in college and you, you're gonna go to a college Bible class or have some, some guy in some talk show highlight a bunch of stuff that sounds an awful lot like contradictions. What do you do? Bury your head in the sand? La, 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 la. Like, what do you do? What I want to do this morning is name some things. I want to clarify some things. And I want to help us reconsider what this book is about. And so uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. And if, if you've got a, a bulletin, there's an outline there. If you're a note taker, if not, don't worry about it. Okay? So let's dig in. Let's, let me see how churched this group is. I'm going to start a phrase. I want you to finish it. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. That's a statement maybe you've heard. It sounds really pious, doesn't it? Boy, does that sound pious. I mean, it sounds like something a Christian should say with conviction and truly mean. And maybe um, that, that phrase kind of highlights the environment that maybe you were raised in, right? You were raised in that kind of an environment or, or maybe this is what you think Christians believe and that's why you think they're so silly. I think it is statements like this and the attitude that surrounds it 
that actually creates the issue we're engaging with this morning. Let me give you a for instance. Maybe you were raised in the church. You were taught that the Bible was central to your faith. Maybe even taught that it's infallible. Then you get to college, take a Bible class where the professor tells you that the Bible teaches a three-story universe where we stand here on the earth and up in the sky is heaven and down under the earth. Well, that's where, that's where hell is. Just like all the ancient people believed. Maybe he talks about how some of these things that it talks about are simply impossible or they strike against what we know to scientifically be true or how the stories were created to, to justify a brutal people's genocide and conquest, right? I was a comparative religions major. I heard that stuff. And then you come home and you ask these questions to your parents or a pastor and they give you that phrase. Well, Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And so what that teaches you is that you have to engage these facts with a faith that ignores them. It is just a plugging your ears and going la, 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 as if all of those questions, the questions that your neighbors have, maybe that you have, the questions your coworkers have, your school friends, like all of these questions, they just don't exist. And we can just go about our lives and just go, no, doesn't matter. And so what I wanna do before we get to this passage, I wanna do some, something that's gonna help us forward. I, I wanna simply speak to two categories of questions or objections that I hear the most. Maybe you hear them too. Maybe you think them. My guess is if you haven't heard these, you've asked them yourself. Here's what I'm not going to do. I am not going to pretend that there is nothing troubling in this book. That would be crazy. That would be crazy. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it's raw. In fact, it's more raw than most of us who believe in it. It tells us things and it gets into the nitty gritty of things that, that we don't want to get into. But what I'm also not going to do is pretend that there are easy answers, simple answers to every question that is raised. I think that is silly and I think that is insulting to those of us who have questions, okay? So here's the first thing. I want to talk about questioning history. Most questions come in two forms. And the first is questioning history. And what I mean by that is both questioning the historicity of the Bible and questioning um, the how the history of the Bible or how it came to be, okay? The first is simply the fact, and it is a fact, that many of the stories in the Bible are scientifically problematic, right? They are scientifically problematic, and that is a fact. Now, before you all get mad at me, let me just say that we can all agree, and I'm fairly certain this is the case, raise your hand if it's not, that none of us have seen the walls of a city fall down when a trumpet blew. Andrew, put your hand down. It's always the pastor's kid. None of us have seen the walls of a city fall down when you blow a trumpet. None of us have seen waters part when someone puts their foot in it. And I'm pretty sure, pretty sure, that none of us have watched a dead man grill fish on a beach, right? Pretty sure. 
And so because of this, because of the fact that there are things in the scriptures that are scientifically problematic, what we do is we generally will just simply dismiss them. Now, here's the thing about this. There is a difference between scientific knowledge and historical knowledge. And, and you, most of us know this, but when we, say the, when, we, when we talk about the Bible, we talk about it as if we should be able to reproduce everything that happens, right? And so, so here's why that's a problem. Historic events can never be proved or disproved based on science. You cannot prove or disprove something based on science that happened in the past because it's, it's an unrepeatable phenomenon, right? Think with me. The way you do science, and some of you are scientists, some of you loved science, and, and some of you just like got it only the two classes you needed and went on. But science is something that you can control every variable, you enter with a hypothesis, you experiment controlling all of the variables you can, altering one or two, to predict how something or what something may do in the future under the exact same circumstances, right? That's not the way we come to historical knowledge. No one has ever reproduced, and I know some reenactors, I get it. No one has ever reproduced the Battle of Gettysburg, right? You might be able to reenact, which has to do with some artistic license, but you cannot prove scientifically that the Battle of Gettysburg happened. Historic knowledge is based on testimony. Someone said something, we find them to be credible. Enough people corroborate their testimony that we can say this happened and it happened in this way. That is history. The difference between knowing something scientifically and knowing something historically is that knowing something historically is taking testimony and building upon it the idea or the, the, the maximalist kind of, of theory that incorporates as much of the data as we have and makes sense of it. That's the way we do history. That's the way you do memory and story with your family, right? You all get together for a family reunion and someone's telling a story and they're like, you remember when Uncle Joe did blah, blah, blah. Uncle Joe didn't do that, he did this. And you're like, oh, you're right, I forgot. It was like this and this, someone else chimes in. Yeah, but you remember after that he did this? And you're like, ah, oh. Testimony, testimony, corroboration, history. To assume that the Bible can't be true because it presents the God who created everything acting in history in ways that we can't is not saying that's impossible. It's assuming that there is no God in the first place who can act in history. We have to engage the testimony of the Bible on its own terms the same way we would anything else, right? The second objection that I tend to hear is the fact that Bible, the Bible is basically a legend, right? And that makes sense because there's a lot of things in there that are rather fantastical, okay? And so we, we tend to think that, that, um, that, oh, well, this is, we put this in the category of myth, or we put this in the category of legend, of stories that, of, of, of people that people made up. But, but if you've actually read myth, and you've actually read legends, you'll see that, and then you go back and read the Bible, you'll see that there's actually a lot of difference in there. For instance, the writers of the Gospels, the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the writers of the Gospels who are telling the stories of Jesus seem to be really interested in placing those events in history, right? This guy that we just read, Luke, if you, if you turn all the way to the beginning of his Gospel, one of the things he says is that he has made great pains 
to talk to those that were involved and to place all these stories in the order in which they happen. He's, he's very intentional about the fact that he's saying that this happened under this Roman governor who was then under that Caesar at this time and you can go reference all that somewhere else. In terms of the New Testament documents, the vast majority of scholars believe that, the, that most of the New Testament was completed within 40 years of Jesus' death. Paul's letters, one of the early Christian leaders wrote most of the New Testament. Paul's letters were written within 20 and 30 years. The Gospels shortly thereafter. In other words, there's not enough time for legends to develop without the fact that there are people around to go, nah, that ain't how that happened. And for us to have record of, there's just no, there's not enough time. And one of the things that makes the, the legend theory so easy for us is that you and I, and listen, it, it's okay to admit this, you and I tend to think ancient people were stupid, right? We just tend to think that ancient people were just stupid. We read a story in the Gospels about a kid who, who they say has a demon and he falls on the ground and he's shaking. We go, ancient people are stupid. That kid didn't have a demon, he had epilepsy. Here's the problem with that. In ancient Greek, there is a word for epilepsy. Did they know why epilepsy happened? No. Did they understand the neurobrain chemistry and all that stuff? Can I tell you something? We don't either. Get into the literature on, on neuroscience and what you'll, what you'll discover is we're guessing. Listen, I'm as medicated as the next guy. No one knows why they work. They just know you take a Zoloft, it seems to work. Okay, we think it does this. Well, why does it work with this person and not this person? <laughs> I don't know. We don't know either. But they had a word for epilepsy, and that is not the word that the gospel writers used. They used something else. Or we think they're either stupid or, you know, we, we think, of course they believe Jesus rose from the dead. Ancient people are dumb. I mean, they believed lots of crazy things, did they? Because there's another story later in the Bible about the Apostle Paul, one of the early Christian leaders, who goes to Athens and he starts talking about the resurrection and everyone in Athens laughs at him and tells him to get out. He's like presenting before the, the scholars of the city and they're all like, let us hear this new teaching of what you teach. And he says, well, I'm here. And he, he goes through their poets and he says, and Jesus who was raised from the dead and they all start laughing and they're like, get him out of here. Dude's an idiot. Why? Because even ancient people knew that dead dudes don't get up. It doesn't happen. So yeah, we, we, we miss the idea of what historical knowledge is. Sometimes we just think ancient people are stupid. But the last thing about why, the, why we question the history of the Bible is the fact that it has to do with how the Bible's formed, right? There's a little phenomenon in the early 2000s written by this guy and then they made a movie out of it with Tom Hanks called The Da Vinci Code. Maybe you've read it. Um, it's, not, it's not bad literature, it's just terrible history. Uh, you know, like, uh, and in it, you know, we all know that the, there's this long four chapter pontification by one of the characters about how uh, Constantine formed the New Testament and he formed it with books that would support his regime and they got rid of all the others. Can I tell you, like, if, if, 
if that's something that you have thought, can I tell you something? Like, that is historically untenable. No serious historian, better yet biblical scholar, believes that. These alternative Christianities, if you want to call them that, alternative gospels, are so historically late when they were written that, they, that arguing that they were suppressed by the earliest Christians is like arguing that the Dallas Cowboys were blackballed from the 1939 Baseball World Series because they weren't listed on the scorecard. Cowboys play football, not baseball, and they didn't exist until 1960. And the same is true of these. They are late, more than 100 years later, and they are part of a completely different faith, okay? Not even close to the same. So those are a few of the historical questions, but the majority of questions today are less historical and more cultural. What I mean is that the Bible seems to support things, and you know this is true, the Bible seems to support things that we find culturally problematic or maybe even dangerous. It's easy to hear things today like, well, the Bible teaches that slavery is okay, or the Bible is repressive sexually. Or the Bible teaches the subjugation of women, or the Bible glorifies violence. In other words, we, believe, we can't believe the Bible because it is so distasteful to what we already know to be true. You with me? It, we can't believe the Bible because look at all these things that it holds that we, that we just find those things grotesque. Well, there's a few ways I would want to encourage you if this is where you are to think about this. The first is that the Bible is fundamentally different from every other religious text you're going to find out there. And if you don't believe me, I, I would just challenge you to go read them and read the Bible. Okay? Um, I have studied them because, like I said, I was a comparative religion major. But um, listen, Buddhist texts are a collection of axioms. The Quran is a, a collection of teachings of Muhammad. The Bible is a story. It's a bunch of different genres of literature, but in in, the, fundamentally, it is a story, and it is a story that does not affirm everything it describes. For instance, every so-called hero in the Bible is desperately flawed. Like, you know this, right? You know that Abraham, like, prostituted his wife twice to save his own skin. Now, thankfully, nothing happened, but he was like, oh, king... She's my sister. Oh. Can I marry her? Sure. Just don't hurt me. Abraham. Father Abraham, right? David, man after God's own heart, slayer of Goliath, hero. Go be David. Please don't be David. David sleeps with other dudes' wives and then has them killed. Please don't be David. We don't have a good prison ministry. Okay? Not good. Moses, maybe you should be like Moses. Moses was a murderer and a coward. Maybe you should be like Moses. Go be like Moses. Yeah, every hero in the Bible is deeply flawed except for Jesus. Except for Jesus. Every hero is described as desperately in need of the grace of God. So before you judge the Bible because it talks about X, whatever that is, just make sure that it's actually saying that X is a good thing and not an, an example of why 
these folks need grace, need rescue. Second, can I, can I encourage you to beware of cultural arrogance? Because to say that we have progressed beyond something and that everything that we don't agree with is some kind of cultural retrogression or regression is to claim that everything that you like, everything that is awesome about you and, and what you believe in, what our culture holds, is better and more, uh, is superior to every culture in every part of the world in all of time. And my guess is that if that's what you believe, if you already believe that, that our culture has progressed to a point where everything that our culture holds is, one of the things you, you don't like is imperialism. And you know what it is to say that your culture is better than every other culture at every other time? Cultural imperialism. So just be careful. Defining something as progression or regression assumes that you and your culture are the point of reference. <laughs> and lastly, I would say this before we get into this text. Lastly, to assume that the Bible is simply false because uh, it, it has some things in it we find distasteful is, is claiming that something isn't true because you don't like it. I actually think there's more to that point than we'd like to admit. In a few weeks, we're gonna talk about that in particular. But I'm just gonna leave that there for now, okay? Now, let's get into this text, okay? So since Christianity rises or falls on Jesus, I think it would be really helpful to engage how he viewed the Bible and how he talks about it here in this passage. So if you're not familiar with the guy who wrote this, his name is Luke. He was a convert to Christianity. He was not Jewish. Um, and he was highly educated. He wrote two things. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts, okay, two volumes of the same thing. And what he did, as, as I said earlier, is he wrote them explicitly as history, trying to write what happened from folks who saw it. In other words, he gathered eyewitness testimony and he wrote it. And if you're familiar at all with eyewitness testimony, there's lots of markers of that in his writings. There's things like random names. Other people aren't named, some people are. And if you deal with testimony, some of you are attorneys, you know that's the way things work. Who was at the party? Well, there was Jim and there was that girl in the blue jacket and then there was, there was uh, you know, Sarah. And then, the, you know, sometimes we get names, sometimes we don't. There's lots of stuff like that. I'll leave you to explore that. But as we pick this up, Jesus has been killed, he's risen from the grave, but not everyone has gotten that yet. So two of his disciples are walking from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus, about seven miles, um, a good, good hefty walk. And, and he comes, Jesus comes up on them, and we're told that he, they are kept from recognizing him at this point. We're not entirely certain what that means, except that they didn't recognize him, okay? So they didn't know it was Jesus. And he, and he plays dumb, and he's like, what's going on? And he tells them everything that had gone on and he tells them something, and then they tell him something very specific. They say that we had hoped, we had hoped that he, Jesus, would be the guy who would fulfill the story of the Old Testament and rescue them. But he died, so obviously he couldn't be. Then, of course, they said something, and then we heard something crazy, because some of the women said this. Why did they say it that way, do you think? They said it because, I mean, can't believe them, Right? I love how Jesus responds. Look down at verse 25. Oh, foolish ones. I'm pretty sure that was not meant as an endearing term. Oh, foolish ones, slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Then now skip down to verse 27. 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All right, now there's a ton we could say, but let me just point out a couple things. First, we need to understand that Jesus is telling these guys on their walk from, Emmaus, or from Jerusalem to Emmaus that they don't get it and they've never gotten it, okay? They, they don't get it and they've never gotten it. He calls them fools and he calls them uh, slow to understand. In other words, he is rebuking them. He's, call, he's calling them out on their lack of understanding. And, he, and the lack of understanding is on this. He mentions Moses and the prophets. Now to us, that doesn't mean too much. I mean, we know Moses, we know the prophets, and in our Bibles, most of the time, we, we know that there's something about Moses, and we, maybe we understand that the latter books in the, New, in the Old Testament are called the prophets, but that's about it. But if you were part of the first century, if you were a, a Jewish guy in the first century, to talk about Moses and the prophets is how you talked about your Bible in its entirety. The books of Moses were understood as the first five books, and everything else was called the prophets, Right? Everything else was called the prophets. They had the latter prophets and the former prophets, but there was all the prophets. If the history book, prophets. It's part of the prophets. It's part of prophetic literature is how they understood it. And so Jesus is saying, you don't get your own Bible now and you've never gotten it because you think that Jesus didn't come and fulfill the story of the Old Testament. Now here's what's probably, if you're new to all this, is gonna blow your mind. He tells them they haven't understood the Bible because the Bible is all about him. He says, you're slow to believe the Moses and the prophets. Did you not understand that the Christ had to suffer and then enter into his glory? It's everywhere, he says. And then he starts from the beginning and he goes through it to teach, you to teach them about him. And now some of you are like, that can't be right because you've understood the Bible whether you've grown up in church or not. It's like, it's about rules. It's, it's this book of rules, it's morality. We keep the good morals and we keep the good rules and God likes us. Or like I said, maybe it's just stories of people that we're supposed to emulate. Go be David, go slay your giants, go be Moses. Again, please don't. You see, first and foremost, the Bible is a story. It's a story about the world, it's a story about the problem in the world, and it's a story about God's solution to the problem, Jesus. That's what the story is about. It has laws, it has stories, and Jesus is claiming all of it, every sentence, the grand arc of all of it is about him, about what he came to do, about why he came to do it, about who he is. And that's what verse 26 is about. Look there. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? What Jesus is saying here is that the Bible is laying out a story that must find its resolution in what happened in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. If that's new, let me, let me tell you what, what we mean by that. Ultimately, the Bible is a story about God, his world, and us. And in it, he says that he created us. He created us good to be in his image, to, like, to, to reflect him into the world, to reflect and to have authority over the world, and to express his loving and good and just 
rule over all things, to bring order out of chaos and to, to, to uh, show his glory to the world. But, but we began to believe a lie. And that lie was that he wasn't out for our good. He was actually holding us back and that we could be independent from him if we wanted to be. In fact, him telling us what he told us was to keep us dependent on him when we could be independent of him. So we betrayed him, we turned away, and, and that betrayal of breaking relationship with him, of turning away from him, brought guilt. All betrayals bring guilt, you know this. But it also, it also changed us. It changed us so that we are now by nature stuck in that independence from God. And so the Bible is basically the story of God working out a promise that he made at the very beginning to make that right, to rescue us. This is why every so-called hero is deeply flawed in the Bible except for one. Because they all need rescue just as much as you and I do. This is why even with the right rules, the right worship, with people speaking the very words of God to them, God's people couldn't keep it together because they didn't need rules. They didn't need right rules for worship. They needed a rescuer. And so Jesus came to live the life that was reflected in that law in our place and he died to bear the weight of our betrayal of God. That is the point of the Bible. That is its central theme. Are there other themes? Yes. But apart from that central theme, none of the others make sense. None of the others make sense. It's like saying like, just because there are side plots in a story that therefore there's no central one. No, this is the central plot in the story. What Jesus is saying here is that without that, nothing else makes sense. He goes from the, from the law, from Moses, all the way through, and he shows them everything that has to do with him and how it all holds together. And that leads me to ask if we can reconsider the center. Listen to me. I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking this. You're not going to admit it because you're in church, but some of you are thinking this. And it's okay. You're thinking, I can't believe the Bible because it teaches creationism or repressive sexual ethics or slavery or gender roles or it's anti-science or it's about genocide. But are you actually going to say that you can't believe that Jesus rose from the dead because of what Leviticus says about sex? That doesn't seem right, does it? I mean, I'm not saying you have to be okay with those things right now. I'm simply saying Let's wrestle with the core and work out from there. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, who cares what Leviticus said about sex? I mean, who cares? Why, why would anyone care? The whole thing's jacked up at that point. Don't reject Christianity and its historical claims because you don't like some of the things that are said. That is like saying, that tree does not exist because I do not like the color of the leaves. Tree's leaves are supposed to be green not red. That tree does not exist. I mean, we chuckle, but that's what we do. That's what we're doing. Now, don't check out on me yet, because we're almost done. I know that some of these things can get hard, but look, 
If Jesus rose from the dead and he is who he said he is, it doesn't matter whether I like what he said about sex or greed or even forgiveness. I have to make a decision, you have to make a decision on what to do with him. And after that, we can worry about the other stuff. The question is, what do we do with him? I'm not asking you right now, if you're in here and you're down, I'm not asking you to buy into everything. Some of us in this room, we walk with Jesus for a long time. We still don't buy into everything. That's all right. Like, we got a long time. We can work this out. I'm not even saying that one day you are going to buy everything. I'm simply asking you to reconsider the central teaching of the Bible, the thread that runs from the very beginning to the very end that culminates in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and then begin to view the rest of the Bible through the light of that. Now, again, some of you are thinking, I can't believe in a God that would say things that I don't like. I can relate to that. That was one of the reasons that kept me away from God uh, when I was younger. Um, But here's what I learned um, myself and what I would encourage you to think about. Just think about this, right? If God can't ever contradict you, then you are your God. If you're only willing to worship what always agrees with you, you will only ever worship yourself. Because listen, I don't care how much in common you have with another person. You start talking long enough and something's gonna come up that you don't agree with. I said a few minutes ago that the Bible is a fundamentally different book than any other religious text and it is so because it makes claims about history, about something that happened, right? In Islam, it does not matter when Muhammad went to the cave to receive the revelation from the angel. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you keep the rules that are there to give you so that you know how to submit to Allah. In Buddhism, it does not matter when or how or under what tree Buddha was when he transcended. All that matters is that you follow what he did so that you can transcend. But the Bible, if Jesus didn't die on a Roman cross and rise from a borrowed grave, nothing else matters. Because Christianity is not about what you do. It is about what has been done for you. And so if it hasn't been done for you, let's pack up. I gotta find me a new job, find some marketable skills. I don't have any, this is it. To refuse to engage the historical claims that the Bible makes regarding those events, to refuse to engage them is no different than than saying, the Bible says it, so I don't believe it. And that settles it. So if you're here this morning, and and that maybe you've been like, I'm not even gonna begin to wrestle with the questions of the Bible. And it's because I just can't stand those fundamentalists. Can I tell you, you're using the exact same logic that you hate. You can ask your questions here. We're not scared of them. Not because we can answer all of them. Just because... Jesus is bigger. 
If the claims of the, of the Bible are false, then who cares about what it says about money or sex? If the claims are true, then you and I have been created by a God who sees us for who we are and yet who loves us enough to rescue us. A God who doesn't wait for us to get to him but comes to us. And I think that's worth reconsidering. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, yeah, we ask that you would work in us the way you did with those disciples on the road to Emmaus. Because right after this passage, right after they go to the table with you, they say, did our hearts not burn within us when he was teaching the scriptures to us? Jesus, would you teach the scriptures to us and reveal yourself even at this table? And in that, we might know you through that encounter and grow to show you to others. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen.